I mean, if he does watch the sparrows, certainly us as well. That's why today's message perhaps fits in so well. We talk about Jesus, the one and only, or to follow up on our text, only one name. Let me begin by asking you this question. How many of you have had a chance to watch any of the series called AD that's been on NBC for the last few weeks? Okay, a few of you. Uh, I have not. <laughs> uh, I, I always, when people, when people ask me if you watch, I said, no, I read the book. Um, but I, I do know something about it, and it's kind of an interesting backstory to this. I, I really found interesting. Uh, <clears throat> this series is developed by a Christian couple, a married couple, uh, named Mark Burnett and Roma Downing. Now, Roma and Mark began dreaming a few years ago about producing a series that would teach the story of the Bible from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. And they spent uh, time developing this idea until they were ready to shop it around uh, to various studios and production companies. And believe it or not, most people were not interested in it at all. But finally, one interested party said, you know, you might have something there. Is there any way you could possibly tell the story of the Bible without mentioning Jesus? Now, Mark and Roma's response was, are you crazy? I mean, that's impossible. I mean, he's the central figure. How do you tell the story of the Bible without mentioning Jesus? Now, could you imagine such an idea? And yet, if you pay any attention to the news today, if you pay any attention to what's going on in the world today, this is somewhat indicative of the times we live in. In fact, for the most part, it's okay for you to talk about God in the public arena, just as long as you kind of keep it vague and out there. You know, the big guy upstairs or that guy way out there. But don't drag Jesus into the conversation. Because when you start mentioning the name Jesus, people start getting a little bit squeamish. Now, at the same time, however, I would tell you that people are absolutely uh, fascinated by Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to the story of Jesus. And yet I would suggest that, that we, his followers, often try to keep him out of the conversation. Now, we're in this series called Make Your Mark. We've been looking at the stories of the early church in the book of Acts and talking about how to make a dent in the universe. And if anybody put a dent in the universe, it was the early church that Luke writes about in the book of Acts. Now, after the death of Jesus, we know that all the disciples scattered and it looked like this fledgling group would kind of fade into history. But then something happened. And in a few weeks, the disciples were back at it. They were preaching the message with far more conviction and courage than ever before, uh, to the point that in just a few days, 5,000 people had become Christ followers. Now, what happened? Well, I would suggest there are two things that happened here. One is that they actually encountered the risen Christ. He was dead, and now he was alive. That's one thing. But second, they were also now filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what they were promised. The very presence of God in their lives, and it gave them a new power, gave them a new boldness, and it gave them a new sense of mission. 
Now, last week, if you were here, or if you listened online, we talked about how Peter had healed a crippled man by speaking the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he said, he took him by the hand and raised him up. And afterwards, the man was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, in today's message, the aftermath of this miracle continues. The religious leaders uh, grab Peter and John and throw them into jail. And the very next day, when they are brought in before the council, they're asked, first of all, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, Peter answers their question, in effect, by saying, come on, guys, let me make this clear. It is by the name of Jesus the Christ that this man has been healed. And then Peter quotes to them from the Old Testament uh, a passage that these religious leaders would certainly recognize. He says in verse 11, you see it on the screen, uh, that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And what did Peter mean by this? Well, Peter was saying, I want you to understand what we are saying about Jesus. This isn't about him being merely a good guy. It's not merely about him being a popular rabbi or some sort of a great philosopher. We're saying that this man, Jesus, is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of all that we believe. Then he goes on again and tells us in verse 12 that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. In other words, there's only one name, or we can put it this way, Jesus is the one and only. Now, Peter is only echoing what he probably heard Jesus say just a few weeks earlier. You read that in John's Gospel. He said, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, friends, this is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And it's only through him that you have new life. That's what Christianity is all about. Who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what our response to that should be. The Christian life, if you will, is all about Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. He is the way. He is the only way to a life of spiritual fulfillment. He is the cornerstone of our existence. And without that cornerstone, the building crumbles. And yet, we are often reluctant to talk about it. While Jesus belongs front and center of all that we do and say, we often try to kind of tuck him away so we don't offend anybody. I tell you that if he were on the church softball team, we'd probably have him play right field. You know, kind of get out of the way and not bother anybody. But because of that, because of our reticence sometimes to keep Jesus front and center, the world or at least the community in which we live, is missing out on hearing the greatest story ever told, and that is the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Now, this morning I want to talk to you about the message that this world needs to know. And the message of the early church was unambiguous and bold. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves today, many churches and many Christians have a message that is ambiguous and tentative. See, sometimes we're not nearly as clear about what our message to this world ought to be. The message of the early church was not that way. So today we need to talk about the message that we are sending to this world, not only as individuals, but also as a church. 
And so I'm going to talk, first of all, about how we often get this message wrong, then how we can get it right, and then I'm going to make a suggestion to you that you can take a step further to make this actually happen. So let's start with how do we get this wrong? How do we get it wrong? I think the biggest mistake that a church can make is to make following Jesus about something other than following Jesus. Throughout history, we have been guilty of doing three wrong things. One way, I think, is by making our message political. Or maybe I should say too political. I mean, there are people in this world today who have the impression, sometimes justifiably so, that we are just one big political action committee. And because most Christians are fairly conservative, many people think that the Christian church is nothing but an arm of the Republican Party. Now, I'm here to tell you, that's just not true. I'm going to tell you something else that, that might upset you. a few of you. I don't know. Neither should it be true. See, people of faith honestly can disagree on political matters. And even if we don't, even if we all agreed on every political idea, we need to remember this important truth. It is not our job as a church to really get anyone elected. It's our job as a church to help people make life-changing connections with Jesus and to help them grow in faith until Jesus is formed in them. Now, I don't want to tell you that the political process is not important. It is. And I would encourage all of us to be as involved as you possibly can and to take a stand on the issues that matter most to you as Christians and to support candidates that you honestly believe in that support those things. That's good. But when it comes to the work of the church, we cannot afford to take political sides. Otherwise, people tend to dismiss us for one reason or another. Neither our message or our mission are political. Someone has once said, when the church has had the choice between political power and spiritual power, it has chosen political power, and it always gets us into trouble. So sometimes we make it too political, and sometimes we also make it too much about do's and don'ts. I mean, many times the church and its people fall into the trap about just preaching about sin, about this sin and that sin and what this person is doing wrong and what that person is doing wrong until the whole world kind of gets the general impression that Christians, well, that it's really nothing more than doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts, if there's such a word. And that's not what it is. And if you're under the impression that that's what we're all about, you need to pay more attention to the end of today's message. Now, does behavior matter? Absolutely. Do we need to confront sin in this world and in our own lives? Absolutely. But the message of the gospel is not, you're an evil, wicked, bad, and nasty sinner. Now, that statement may be true, but that's not the gospel. The gospel message is this, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and it's only through him that we can have a new life and our sins are forgiven. Now, our goal is not to get bad people to stop doing bad things. Our goal is actually to help bad people become good people. And when I say bad people, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about those folks out there somewhere. See, the only way that you or me or anyone else in this world can be good is through the life-changing power of Jesus 
the Messiah. So yes, as individuals, as a church, we need to talk about behavior. We need to talk about sin. We need to talk about right and wrong. But let's make it clear that Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. It's about a one-on-one relationship with Jesus, which really leads me to the third way we often mess up our message, and we make the message way too much about the church or our involvement in church. When I hear people talk about their spiritual life only in terms of their connection to a local church, it kind of always sends up a little red flag for me. See, there's so much more to the Christian life than just having your name on a roster someplace. And there are some people, I had a man one time who wanted to join our church because he said it would look good in his obituary someday. Well, I don't care how many churches' names you have in your obituary. If you are not a Christ follower, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, you could be baptized every day in the ocean until every fish knew you by name, and it wouldn't necessarily make a difference. So there's much more to the Christian life than a couple of hours that we spend together every week. And if, the, if this is all there is to your spiritual life, I'd be bold enough to say it's not enough. Now, friends, church attendance is good. I mean, I would love to have everybody who is a member of this church here every Sunday after Sunday, every time the church doors are open. But church attendance does not save you. Sitting in church will no longer make you a Christian, then what do they say? Sitting in McDonald's would make you a Big Mac. You can stand in your garage all day. You will never become an Oldsmobile. Only a personal relationship with Jesus can do that. So sometimes we mess up the message of Jesus, the one and only, by talking politics, by talking do's and don'ts and regulations and rituals, when we need to just be talking about what? Talking about Jesus. Well, that brings me to the second thing. How do we need to get it right? I mean, what do we need to talk about? Let me go back to the text again. In verse 12, Peter said, salvation is found in what? No one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Friends, if there is salvation in no other way through no one else, it means that we ought to be talking about that person. And that person is who? It's Jesus. So I, I want to mention three things about Jesus that I think we all need to learn to emphasize more and more. And first of all, let's understand that Jesus shows us who God really is. Now, the reason that Jesus can show us who God really is, is simple. It's because he himself is God. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was literally God in the flesh. That's the incarnation. He said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are, guess what? We are one. That means that he is the spitting image of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus because Jesus is God. I can think of three or four or five different times that people sat in my office at the church and said, I want to know more about what God is like. Well, okay, here's something for you. Read the Gospels. Read the story about Jesus. Well, why would I do that? I want to know about God. Well, guess what? Jesus is God. That's why it also bugs me sometimes when people say, well, there, there are many ways to God. Uh, no, uh, apart from Jesus. Uh, no, no. Why? Because Jesus is God. 
See, many people have the idea that God is one way and that Jesus is another way. But guess what? There's only one way. Why? Because they're both one. Our understanding of this sometimes is limited and inaccurate because we base it a lot on Old Testament. It's all God, 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 God. Uh, But Jesus came into this world so that we could get a better picture of what God is really like. Now, there are some parts of the Old Testament, I I will grant you, that uh, may not be very easy to understand in terms of the nature of God. But the Gospels make it abundantly clear what Jesus is like. So our message to the world needs to be this. Do you want to know what kind of God we serve? Then look at Jesus. Look at what he said. Look at what he did. Look at how he treated other people. He's a perfect example of what God is like. As Paul said, he is the image of the invisible God. We need to emphasize in Jesus that we can see what God is really like. Now, the second thing is that Jesus shows us what love really means. I don't know how many of you have heard of uh, the Swiss theologian Karl Barth. He actually has some Lutheran backgrounds. He's kind of considered to be a liberal uh, Lutheran theologian. Uh, but he's also considered to be one of the greatest minds and perhaps one of the greatest theologians in the whole 20th century. Uh, he was one time asked in a lecture if he could sum up his theology in one sentence. Could you do that? Sum up your theology in one sentence? Well, this is what Karl Barth said. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, all he's saying is, Jesus really is about love. He came into this world because he loved the world. He came into this world to die on the cross because he loved people. He came into this world to die on the cross for our sins because he loves us. He came into this world because he actually loved that entire whole world. And he wants us to love him In return and to love one another. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. See, our message needs to be that we take love seriously because the Lord takes love seriously. And in the same way that he's shown his love to us, we need to show that same love to other people. There's a third part to this, and this is that Jesus shows us what life can truly be. Now, I think back when Peter says there is salvation found in no one else. He's not just talking about going to heaven instead of hell when you die. He's talking about salvation as it's meant to be lived in this life. He's talking about a crippled man who had just been healed by the power of Jesus. I mean, just as the broken life can be healed through the power of Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. And he's not talking about life to come. He's talking about right now. I've come that you might have life right now and you can have it abundantly. He also said, these things I have said to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. You ever hear that word, joy, full? (laughs) He wants you to be so happy that you're overflowing. That's why God even says he loves a cheerful 
or joyful giver. Now, the Greek word there is hilaros. God loves a hilarious giver. We should take a look sometimes to see how many people are yucking it up when we pass the plates. Do you have a smile on your face or do you go, God wants our joy to overflow. I remember when I was a high school teacher and I walked down the halls in the morning, sometimes, you know, until you get that first cup of coffee in the teacher's lounge. I remember walking down the hallway and there's this young girl, her name was Kathy Zipoy. And she used to say, good morning, Mr. Kolb, how are you? And I would say, fine. And she said, then let your face know about it. (laughs) Now, all she was saying is, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hand. Well, if you're happy and you know it, stomp your If you're happy and you know it, smile. Smile. It's not going to kill you. See, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy might stay in you. It'll just be overflowing. It came that we might experience life as it ought to be experienced. Not a life destroyed by sin, but a life redeemed and made right by his grace and mercy and his power. So our message to the world very simply means Jesus and nobody else can make your life truly as happy as it's meant to be. I mean, the gospel is not politics. The gospel is not religion. The gospel is not a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. The gospel is that Jesus died, or Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and through him you can experience new life. Now, the question is, how do we get there? Now, last week I said something I'm going to say again. You probably hear me say this every week through this eight-week series, and that's that you cannot make a mark on this world until God has made his mark on you. Now, I could take it a little step further and say this. This church, let's let's talk specifics, St. Mark's, Mineral Wells, this church cannot possibly make its mark on this community until God has made his mark on this church. What do you think of that? You buying that? You better, because it's the truth. That means that you need to be about Jesus. That means this church needs to be about Jesus. Now, understand, I'm not chastising anyone and say, I know some of you aren't about Jesus at all. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that this church is not about Jesus. I'm just saying it as a point of remembrance. That means today I should probably give you some practical way to move in that direction. In this week, what I'm encouraging you to do is just to read one of the Gospels. One of the Gospels. That's my challenge to you. Or maybe I should actually say start reading. In fact, uh, I'm going to give you two weeks because uh, I'm going to be gone for one week. I'm going to give you two weeks. That's called grace and mercy. Where did I learn that? From the one and only, Jesus. Jesus extends so much grace and mercy to me and love. I'm going to extend the same to you. I'm giving you two weeks. I'm not going to give you a quiz. I may ask you, uh, raise your hand silently. (laughs) But pick out a gospel. Now, you might not finish it in the next 14 days, but you can get a pretty good start. Now, I would say find the the most user-friendly translation you can. I don't know what that might be for you. I mean, I read out of the English Standard Version. Some people like the King James. If you can read that and understand that, so be it. If you want to read it out of the Living Bible, I don't care. If you want to read it out of the Message, I don't care. If you want to read it out of the Kingdom Version, if you want to read it out of the Reformation Bible, the Concordia Study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible, whatever Bible you read it out of, read it. 
And guess what? There are four of them to choose from. You all know that, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. If you want to read it in Greek, read it from John. It's the most easy to read in Greek. I'm just giving you a slight seminary lesson there. Don't try to do a deep and detailed study. I'm not asking you to read it and take notes and scribble stuff in your margin. I'm just saying sit down and read it. Read the stories and see what they tell you about Jesus and what they tell you about God. And my prayer is that you would just simply read one of the Gospels in the next two weeks. And guess what? It will take less than three hours if you just sat down and read it front to back, any one of them. A few of them, you can do it quicker. It's just that my prayer is that this simple reading of one of the Gospels will kindle or rekindle a desire to know Jesus personally and to make your Christian walk all about him. Let me end up saying it again one more time. There is no other name under heaven that has been given to men by which we must be saved. So let's make sure that that's what our mission and our message are all about. It's all about Jesus, the one and only. Amen.